Well, good morning again, and if you turn with me to your Bibles, we're looking at Psalm 131 on this Mother's Sunday, Psalm 131. Let's pray as we come now to the Bible, my friends. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, speak through your word and a special um, encouragement to the mothers here this morning. And I pray, Father, also for all of us that this word would strengthen us in the humility of greatness. And I pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. So, my friends, Psalm 131. 131. Let's listen to God's word. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, my friends, I want to begin uh, looking at this psalm in, in this way. It may not strike you as immediately an obvious way to begin, but I think you'll, I think you'll see. You ever seen the show American Idol? Uh, by the way, what a great show. Anyway, it's, uh, it's quite a phenomenon, um, and there's one particular episode I'm thinking of that came from 2004. You can see it on YouTube if you don't remember this episode. And uh, it's about someone called William Hung. He, uh, some of you remember. Uh, William Hung became particularly famous for singing particularly badly. He sang a a song by Ricky Martin, though it was hard to know it was by him. Um, And uh, it was One of the worst songs, one of the worst performances ever on that show, and that is saying something. (laughs) And at the end of his uh, performance, his uh, rendition of this song, uh, well, he was interrupted, of course, by Simon, who has now come off the show, uh, apparently. Uh, I follow those things very closely, you can tell. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Simon interrupted him. And said, look, you can't sing, you can't dance, what do you want me to say? And William Hung said something at that point that endeared him to millions, which was, I'm just following my dreams. And the other two judges smiled at that point. You know, Aw, isn't he cute? And then, uh, then he said, you know, I've got no professional training. And Simon said, really, that's the surprise of the century. And what's interesting about, well, the whole um, American Idol 
phenomenon over the last decade or so, or however long it's been now. And that episode in particular, and that issue in particular, is not, you know, how cute he was or how good or bad the song was, but that phrase, I'm just following my dreams. In other words, it's an expression of the very common idea that many of us were brought up to believe, which is, you can be whatever you want to be. You're an engineer at California Tech and you want to be a rock star, you can be whatever you want to be. Is that true? Interesting survey in 1999 of teenagers about their expectations of how much they would earn when they got to the age of 30. And in 1999, the expectation was that by the time they got to 30, they would earn an average, this was the average expectation, an average of $75,000. The interesting thing about that statistic is that at the same time, the average earning of a 30-year-old American in 1999 was $27,000. You can be whatever you want to be. So we have these sky-high expectations. And then at some point in life, we begin to realize that maybe that is not the case. Now, when uh, someone like me behind a big pulpit with a big Bible begins to talk about humility, what you think I'm saying is that I'm trying to put you in a particular role of being you know, don't get too big for your boots. Just stay low. But that's really not what the Bible, it's not what I'm trying to do, and it's not what the Bible is trying to do. Uh, I think the Bible's idea of humility, it's obviously here in Psalm 131, but also Jesus talks a lot about it. Blessed are the meek, happy are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Bible's idea of humility is really what's going to give you happiness. So Paul says, I have learned the secret of this, of contentment in any situation. So humility is what allows you, as David says, to be still and calm, to have a calm and quiet soul, to have that peace. That's the greatest gift I could give to all the mothers here this morning peace and to all of us and really that comes from the humility of greatness in other words I think the Bible and this psalm in particular is trying to reverse engineer if you like that phrase that we have been taught from the cradle grade school high school even college sometimes you can be whatever you want to be instead of saying no don't get too big for your boots no it's not saying that it is saying instead of that reverse engineering it It is saying, no, to be happy, you need to be who you were made to be. So humility is asking you to play a certain role in your life. But the role in the drama of your life that this passage and the the biblical doctrine, teaching of humility, is asking you to play is the role of being you. You yourself, who you were made by the sovereign God, the creator of all, to be. 
And when you're like that, then you find happiness, the stillness, the quietness of soul, the inner sense of being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. So that's what humility is about, not 1950s propriety, but uh, what produces this peace, this stillness, this quietness, this happiness, this contentment, this blessing, this blessed of the meek, the happy blessing that Jesus comes to give. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this, uh, this issue of the sort of self-esteem movement and what it's done for us, and we're going to look at this passage here about humility, the humility of greatness, because David was a great man and he's talking about it. And we're going to see in just three ways, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see what is humility really according to the Bible, because we've got so many mistaken ideas out there. You think I'm saying something that, I, that the Bible is not saying. So we've really got to dig in to see what does it mean by humility? How does God define it? What, what does the Bible say about it? This humility that produces happiness. So what is it? Then we're going to look, do, do I then really want it? Is this really something that I want? And we're going to consider that from this passage as well. And then, of course, at the end, we're going to consider how do I get it? How do I get this humility of greatness? So let's do that together. First, what is it? Then do I want it? And then how do I get it? First, what is humility? Well, look down with me at verse 1. Here's the definition. There are different definitions given in the Bible. Here's the one we're looking at this morning from Psalm 131, verse 1. Uh, he's, uh, he's not boasting about his humility when he talks in the first person about being humble because, if you like, this is a record of his own private journal. He's, he's not like the, the, the famous, you know, the well-known joke, humility and how I achieved it. This is a record of the genuineness of his heart that he wrote in his private journal that he is now sharing. And that's why in verse 3 he then turns to sort of preach about it. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. So he's sharing this experience authentically. So verse 1, O Lord, my heart, so it's about something deep inside, my attitude. The heart in the Bible is not just my thinking, not just my feeling, but the thinking feeling unit. Uh, that's what the Hebraic, the Hebrew idea of heart is. Who I am, my attitude, if you like. My heart is not lifted up. So he's not saying that his heart has been pushed down. This is not, let me give you low self-esteem. This is about not being too much. This is about level, being who you were made to be. And you get the same idea of level actually in verse 2 where it talks about the calmness and quietness. Behind those words is, is the concept, the metaphor of an ancient plow plowing a field level. It's not too much. Your heart is not lifted up. It's, it's level. Who I am made to be. I now realize that. So the heart, then the eyes. My eyes are not raised too high. So whatever's going on in my heart often comes out in the window of the soul, the eyes. And in particular, you can often tell a proud person by how, by how they look. 
at other people in their eyes. Their eyes are raised high so they can look down on you. Uh, They look as if, well, they're cleverer than you, and they have that look as if they know something you don't know. They, They just look like they're arrogating to themselves the idea that they're better than you. Often it comes out in the window of the soul, the eyes, the look, and then I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now again, this is the humility of greatness, and David is a great man, uh, he, a king, so he has a lot of great things to be concerned about. But when someone is truly great, they realize that there is far greater than them. The most intellectual, intelligent man realizes, or woman realizes, that the universe is far bigger than their brain, and the greatest politician realizes how little is in their control. The greatest leader realizes that. So this, again, isn't saying getting lower than he is, it's being who he is. And it's about the dreams. I'm just following my dreams the occupation, not his job, but what he occupies himself with, his plans, his goals. You see, even management consultants will say, some of you who are in business will probably know that our goals should be SMART, you know, S-M-A-R-T, that is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, um, time-bound. Well, there's something to that, I suppose. But here it's saying that the occupation, the goals, are not too great. They are just as they should be, just as you were made to be. Now, this is a very helpful series of definitions that he's sharing from his own private journal for us to have an insight into where he was, the, the attitude, the look, and the dreams Uh, It's a very helpful definition, all that defined by God as He has made us to be, not by the self-esteem movement. Not low esteem, but true esteem, who I really am. That's humility. It's a very helpful definition because, of course, humility is a famously difficult thing to feel that you've ever achieved. Um, You probably know the story of the woman who was listening to her pastor preach about sin and the importance of repenting from sin. And at the end of this rather fiery sermon, she came up to the pastor and somewhat discouragingly to him said, you know, pastor, I haven't sinned for 10 years. Uh, To which he quickly replied, you must be very proud about that. And she amazingly said, well, actually I am. Yes, I am actually. I'm very proud about not having sinned. And so humility is a a very hard thing to really feel, how do you know when you're humble? I mean, can you be proud about being humble? And so you kind of go, you you, you chase your tail like a a dog going round and round in circles. But here is a very helpful definition. Humility, the heart, the eyes, and the plans. An attitude, a look, a dream. In other words, it's not being, you know, the myth of Icarus who flew too close to the sun. It's not saying don't fly. It's saying be who you were made to be. 
And then you'll find happiness. Then you'll find the result, the calm and the quiet. An attitude, a look, a dream defined by God and who he's made you to be, not by anything else, not by anyone else. Anyone who puts you down, who lifts you up, but defined by God, not, not even the self-esteem movement. That's, that's humility. Well, the question then comes, do I want it? Do I want this? Uh, so now look down with me then at verse, uh, verse 2. Do I want this humility? So what does he say then? But here's the result. The, the King James Version has surely here. And it has that sense in this um, part of Scripture that this is a certain result. Surely, but here's the result. I have calmed and quieted my soul. That is, because of the heart, the eyes, and the plans now being defined by God and what he, who he has made me, then comes this, this plow that plows the field level, and I am calm, I am quiet. So again, what's the greatest gift I can give the mothers in this room? Here it is. Happiness. Peace. I think you want that. I think all of us want that. And just to really drive home the point of how much we want that, uh, David then gets a little rude. And it's, it's, it's important in the Bible sometimes to really enter into the metaphor of what is being said, like a weaned child. So what David is saying, and he's saying this about himself so he can get away with it, is he is saying, before I got this contentment, this calm, this quiet, what was I like? I was like a baby. I was like a baby. Not even, you know, such a young baby, I wasn't even weaned. So what's he saying? What's he saying? Again, do you want this humility? Well, what's the alternative? Pride. We think pride is about being great. No, 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 no. All the great people that I have met, truly great, have always had at least a tinge of humility. Because when you're, at that, you're playing at that level, if you like, you begin to realize how small you are. What David is saying is the proud person isn't like the person who's doing all these things and therefore is tempted by pride. The proud person is like the baby. In other words, pride is totally wrapped up in yourself. You see, when you get weaned as a child, that's the first time, pretty much, in the normal development of a, of a person, that you begin to realize that you could want something but not get it. What's the proud person like? The proud person is someone who always thinks that their dreams are going to be what they're going to get. Whatever they want, they should have. And I tell you, that just wrecks homes, marriages, businesses, schools, churches. Because the proud person is sitting there like a baby. Ah, I want it. And he's been deliberately, I think, a little humorously rude. 
Because when you are wrapped up in pride, the one thing you don't think you are is proud. And you need someone to come Simon-like, if you want to use that way of looking at it, and say, you know, you can't sing, you can't dance, what do you want me to do? Not to drive you down to low self-esteem. Actually, ironically, those who have low self-esteem, not always, sometimes there can be very deep psychological issues involved, of course, but not always, but sometimes those with low self-esteem are actually those who are wrapped up in pride. Why? Because the low self-esteem is saying, I should have this countertop made in China and imported specifically with me, designed by a thousand imps according to my design, you know? I should have exactly what they show in the magazines or on TV or on the internet. Uh, This should be me. And they're not defined by the heart, the look, the dreams of who you were made to be. And so they're not happy. They can never be happy. They can never not have anxious thoughts. If you're worried and stressed, chances are, here's a thought, could it be? The reason why you are worried and stressed is you're proud. David didn't get worried and stressed once he realized that he was proud and once he had been weaned. (laughs) It's, It's resting in the sovereignty of God. It's resting in who you were designed to be. And yeah, this metaphor here is a little in your face, but then sometimes you need to be. Sometimes... Humorous insults can make a, make a point. I rather like, perhaps you know this, Mark Twain, when he was uh, once invited to a funeral, uh, replied saying that he could not attend the funeral, but that he approved of it. Well, I think it was Groucho Marx who was invited out for an evening of entertainment, which he did not enjoy, and said, this, I have had a wonderful evening of entertainment, but this was not it. <laughs> and he's saying about himself, you know what? When I was proud, I was a baby. You want to be like that? Charles Simeon, I think, said that the proud Christian is a contradiction in terms. Blessed are the meek. To be a Christian, you've got to receive from Jesus. He's not just saying it's a contradiction in terms. He's saying the proud Christian is like an adult still nursing. That's what he's saying. Then he was weaned. Now, if you're a mother or a parent here, the, the stillness and quiet of soul that I want to give to you from God's Word, maybe that will come whether your child is young or old, in the same way as you begin to cut the apron strings of course you care for them you love them you want them to do well but you're not defined by their success what are you defined by not your esteem isn't in their achievement your esteem is in who you are before god then you're happy. Not whether they look nice at church or whether they do well at school, whether they have a big job or not, but who you were made to be.
And, and, and the funny thing about that, and here we're going to come to the, the third and last point this morning. The funny thing about that is once you get that, then, well, then you begin to do what verse 3 does. So look down at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So this is a change. Can you see the change that happens in the text? Verses 1 and 2 about him and God. Now he turns around to look at God's people, the world, those around him. And this is such a surprising shift from verse 2 to verse 3 that some scholars have wondered whether it wasn't part of the original text. (laughs) But actually, this, this shift, this surprising shift is exactly what happens when someone gets humble. They begin to have the greatness of soul to care for other people. Who is Jesus? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He was great. David, great king, humble. Moses, Moses, the meekest man on the face of the planet. Paul, I've learned the secret of contentment. That didn't mean he sat back and did nothing. No, that's pride. That's sitting, assuming that you get your dinner on a plate, if you like, right? But Once someone gets humble, then they start caring for other people. Who is the greatest, Jesus said? The greatest is the servant of all. Now they're not thinking about themselves. So humility is not putting yourself down. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself. It's being who you are as designed by God, which is to be like verse 3, looking out and saying to other people, put your hope in the Lord. So if you're a Christian and you're not active, if you're worrying a lot, we've thought about that, if you're not active in service in children's ministry or telling people about Jesus or teaching or serving in one way or another, could it be you're still struggling with being weaned? You haven't got to verse 3 where you're now looking out to other people and say, yeah, put your hope in the Lord. Yeah, now I'm, now I'm defined by what I'm going to give, not what I receive. So this, this verse 3, as so often happens in the Bible, is both a result, once you get humble, you begin to care for other people. It's a result and a method for how to get this happiness that I think we all want. So, so he now has experienced this, happiness that comes through humility, the stillness, the quietness. And then he looks out and he wants to give it to us. How do we we get that? Well, put your hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. What does that mean? In other words, the way to get humility is to believe that your best, your dream, the future, is all in God. 
not your 401k, not the job you may or may not get, not the success or size of your ministry. It's all in God. Your hope is in God. Once you get that, I'm preaching at Wheaton Academy on Tuesday, and I'm going to be using the, um, I'm going, preaching from Jesus' stilling of the storm. And when Jesus stills the storm, you get this calm, this quietness. And when he speaks, that storm doesn't stop like normal storms stop, and there's still waves going backwards and forwards. He speaks, and it is calm. When you put your hope in the Lord, it's not, it's not how well I look. It's not what other people think about me. It's not how well my children are doing. It's who I am as made by God. My dream, my hope, I'm believing that that future is all best purely in God and Him alone. As we, uh, as we close, let me tell you a personal story that uh, I think illustrates this. Uh, my, uh, uh, well, I'm just going to tell you. My, my uh, eldest son, as some of you know, is autistic, and we've, we've known this for years, so you don't have to suddenly feel bad towards me. Um, it, it, we've known this for a long time. He's 10 now. We discovered when he was two or three. But there was an incident a couple of years ago And see, when you're autistic, one of the things that's hard for you is to really understand and empathize with where other people are. A couple of years ago, I'd had an an interesting week, you see. I'm a pastor. Sometimes I have interesting weeks. And I can't remember it all, but usually my interesting weeks are a combination of two things when I find them uh, interesting. Uh, they're usually a combination of just receiving and having to give a lot of care to a lot of people in a lot of difficult situations. And I love to do that. It's a privilege. But I care for people. And sometimes when there's a lot of that, uh, I can carry a lot of things. I've got big shoulders, reasonably. But when, when that carries on and, you know, I get a little bit of criticism. Never happens to me, of course. But, but when you get a combination of those two things... And there's a lot of both of those. Sometimes it becomes, as I say, an interesting week. And uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I got home, and I was trying to do verse 3. I think I was sitting on the floor in our living room, and I was was trying to do verse 3. My hope is in the Lord. Anything else, it's in Jesus. Right? And I may have even... I may have even been crying. I, I, probably not. I'm British, so. <laughs> so there I was, and my autistic son, first and only time he's ever done this. He's on the other side of the room. He sees me. He walks across the room. He gives me a hug. Now, I'm telling that story not just because it's so emotional, but because for you to break 
the trap of pride and discover the humility of greatness and the happiness that comes means to put your hope in the Lord. That is, to see what and who your Father is and be defined by Him, by God, what He cares for. Then the whole game changes. Suddenly we're a church where we have to turn people away from serving in children's ministry. Well, there aren't enough spots. Everyone is trying to tell other people to put their hope in the Lord. We're telling our friends about Jesus. We're teaching. We're preaching. We're all of our energy is in Him. And then, here's the kicker. And then we live in verse 2. Stillness, quiet, happiness. Whether the children are doing well or poorly. Because our, whether our career is doing, whether our economy is doing well or poorly. Because our esteem is about who God is and how He has made us to be. Well, let's pray. I think we all want this. Here's the solution to put our hope in the Lord, so let's do that together. Father, we want to see the world through your eyes. You who gave your only Son, you, the giving, graceful God not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but gave himself, becoming a servant, obedient even unto death. As Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Father, help us to not be spiritually autistic, but to be a giving people. To look at the world and its needs and not define ourselves by all those needs but by who God has made us to be and so giving as we can towards that mission, that agenda. Help us, Father, to seek first your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to find all our hope in you and all our esteem from you. How do we know that you love us? Not because we're good, not because we have achieved certain things. The Bible tells us this is how we know that God loves us, while we were still sinners. So God knows everything about us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Father, help us to define ourselves by that statement at the cross, by that love. And so discover the humility of greatness, to be servant of all, the happiness, the calm, the quiet, in the midst of everything. Father, I pray that will be a blessing for all the mothers and for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.